Thank you. Thank you, guys. Amen. You guys can be seated tonight, Coach Dan. I actually coached high school baseball for a little while. They called me Coach Dan. That's when I realized I was old. At the refuge, you know, we're surrounded by kids all the time, and it keeps you young. When you meet kids that don't know you, you, that, you know, you're talking to them like I talk to the kids that I know, and you start realizing, oh, my gosh, I'm old. You know, I leaned over because I said that they were doing young adults. And at our church, Reagan and I aren't allowed to go to young adults. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, we get to go to young adults. And you're like, no, no, you guys can't come. You're not, you're not young enough, um, which is crazy. You know, it's funny that you would use the, that term, Coach Dan, because I'll tell you something. I, um, as a coach, uh, as a coach, you know, you, you practice, you do all these different things. You have drills and you're prepping and you're doing all these things. But the last thing you say to your team before they take the field is the most important thing. Now, as a high school coach, you know, we're working on it. I coached a high school. I coached at a high school that my son was going to high school at. And uh, of the 13 players that came out to play on the team, only six of them had ever played baseball before. So it was a high school baseball team where only six of them, I was literally teaching 16-year-olds how to throw a baseball. And so we're talking, you know, you're going through all these drills, but then we get ready for the game. And literally, I'm going, the last thing I'm saying is, okay, have fun, you know? And it's funny because as a coach, that's all you want. You, the last thing you say to them before you send them out onto that field is the only, you're like, if you forget everything else, if you lose sight of all the practices and all the drills and you get out there, and you're like, I don't know what's going to, I want you to remember this one thing. That's it. When you get out there, just remember this one thing. That's what I want you to do. That's the most important thing, right? And it's funny because as a coach, when you think about that, Jesus does the same thing, right? All three and a half years of that ministry, everything was, we're working on this. We're talking about this. He covered everything. But when it came time for him to send us onto the field, Right? The last thing he said to us, the only thing is if you forget everything else, if you lose sight of everything I've taught you, if you can't remember anything that we've been working on, remember this. Right? Remember this. Go into all the world and make disciples. Right? That's the last thing he said. We can forget everything. I always like to think, like, what would happen if the only thing we're graded on when we get to heaven is the Great Commission? Brother, before I came here in 2016, that's a scary thought. Um, tonight, it is a follow-up uh, to, this, to this morning, and there's, there's a reason why I wanted to do the follow-up in this format, because um, we are so outcome-oriented. I, I, I didn't want to talk this morning, give a report of everything that's been going on, like, let's catch up about Imaginations Church Phoenix, and I just want to tell you guys how radical things have gotten um, with missions and just how it's gone, but I didn't want to do that. And share the message that God put on my heart this morning because I don't want there to be this, this idea of like, wow, that's awesome. Look what God did. I want God to do that. Because we become totally outcome oriented. And the truth is, you guys, God doesn't want us to be focused on outcome. He wants to be focused on obedience. And it's not outcome. It's not like, well, if you'll obey, then this. That's not, there's the carrot. That's not the way the gospel works. Right? It's, it's just raw obedience. Obey. That's, that is trust and obey. Right. And um, I love the way that Pastor Jack has put it right like that only if or even if and, and the reality of God's calling me to be obedient regardless of the outcome. And if I can learn this, then I can begin to trust and have a sense of peace. That's why the word of God says that contentment with godliness is great gain. 
right? To be, to be content, to be able to go, this is what God has called me to. And it's been a journey for us. Um, I want to share just a little bit of history. And I wanted to share a little bit about myself and Reagan. But Reagan told me that the story was too long. So I cut that out of my notes. And uh, some other time, um, we've been uh, together. We fell in love when we were 13. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't say that at home because we were teenagers. I don't, 13-year-olds don't fall in love. But I'll say that on the road, you know. Um, but we did meet, and we have a wild story, and, and, and God is faithful. Um, but what I do want to talk about this in the message tonight is letting, letting God be God. In Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. When, when I... Um, had left to get my first job, the interview, they asked me, what is it? What's the theme? What's, what is your philosophy of youth ministry? And I was young, and, and I thought, oh, man, I'm going to tell you. I'm just going to blow your mind right now. And uh, it was in Denver. And Denver at the time had the largest uh, homeless po- youth homeless population in the country. They all lived in the sewers and, and, and you know, the snow. And, and so I was super excited to go there. And... Um, Anyways, uh, they said, what's your philosophy? And I said, my philosophy is a simple philosophy. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. He said, what do you mean? And I said, look, I don't subscribe to the idea that I, from the outside in, if I can get kids to fall in love with Jesus, everything else that the parents and the church and dressing one way and listening to this music and all, all this other stuff, it's just going to come in. And this was the beginning of, of this journey for me in ministry. And I was in a program uh, for about five years. And uh, so it was a, a program called Master's Commission. We traveled all over the world. And, and it, was, it was like a tech school for ministers. So in the, in the mornings, you would take Bible classes. And in the afternoons, you would do what you learned in your Bible class. So if you were learning children's ministry, you would learn children's ministry all week long or all month long, depending on the season. But you would take a class. And in the afternoon, you would go out and do what you learned. So we would literally be taking classes in the morning. And then we would plan children's church and we would, we would design it, we put the scriptures in it, we come up with the skits, and we do all these different things. And then we would go out into the inner cities of Phoenix, and we would go into a neighborhood, and we would find an empty lot, and we would go, and we would invite all the kids in the neighborhood, and then we would have to do the children's church lesson that we'd been learning. And this went for everything, prison ministry, hospital visitations. That was what we did, and we traveled a lot, and, and um, I did mainly high school stuff. So uh, I was... Uh, but drug, I, I was addicted to drugs as a kid, I methamphetamines, and when God delivered me from that, I went into this program, and so we ended up doing a lot of school assemblies focusing on drugs and suicide, and it ended up taking us all over the world, and they would, they would bring us in to do these things, and you would do whatever you were asked to do. That's what I, I was like. In fact, the, one of the things we learned when we were in the school is you couldn't say no, right? You're not allowed to say no. So just so you know, like when I was younger, I had to rap. I had to dance, okay? At one point, they put me on an album, rapping. I won't, I won't horrify you with my rapping skills, but we would, they would make us do this, okay? Just so you catch it. We would travel to these schools. I would stand in inner city schools where I was literally one of two white people rapping, okay? And kids would laugh, all right? And I had to dance I remember we did a dance to getting jiggy with it, right? And can I tell you something? And I was like, look, I'm all in. Like, God changed my life. I don't care what you're asking me to do. I'll do it. I, it's the most embarrassing part of my testimony. 
But everywhere we go, El Paso, Detroit, Dallas, we would be in Philadelphia, and I would go up and rep. And when it was over, can I tell you, I can't tell you how many times kids came up to me. I mean, they would swarm up to me, not because they were impressed with my rapping skills. Because they were impressed, I did it. They were just, they were just like, I can't believe you did that. Bro, you, you just rapped in front of this school, you know. And in Detroit, like, just come up, right? Because why? Because God uses obedience. He uses obedience. When we let God be God. When I left that program, uh, I left that program, and the year before I left the program, God had told me it was time to leave. and gave me a vision for the refuge. And God had come, and, and, and I had been praying and really seeking God. What do you want? I'm serving another man's vision. What's your calling on my life? And in a moment of, of, of prayer, God be, just literally showed me what is now the refuge. And he walked me through it. I vividly remember this vision. One of the only times in my life. And um, God told me to leave, and I didn't. And within a year, I left. <laughs> because it's, I understand something. Uh, uh, there are two things that occur in our relationship with God. We can obey God when he speaks, or we can obey God when he uses his hand. I promise you. His voice is much easier to deal with than his hand. And I ended up leaving and, and being devastated at the end of that year, knowing that it was because I had stayed, knowing that it was because I had not obeyed God, I had obeyed man. And I was asked by this, this director who I had just absolutely death loyalty to, and, and then he had called, when I said, no, I'm, I feel like God's calling me to leave to start this, and he called my mom. And I am the only boy in a house with three girls, and we're Italian, and I'm the youngest. So to say that I'm a mama's boy is the biggest understatement. My mom called me and said, you're going to stay. And I said, yes, ma'am. And I stayed, and it ended up being devastated. And um, Reagan and I went to a wedding, and we were, we were at this wedding in Oklahoma, and we went to this rehearsal dinner. And we are sitting at this rehearsal dinner, and this guy came up to us, and he said, God gave me a word for you. I don't know what you're like, okay? I believe in the baptismal. I believe in the gifts. But, man, sometimes that's just weird. Right? I'm just like, oh, oh, here we go. So he's like, is it okay if I share it with you? And and I said, sure, you can share that with you. And so then he says, listen, when I saw you tonight, and and he began to to talk to me about what I'd just been through. And and, and he's just like, God sees you, sees you struggling. And I went, oh, my gosh, this is God. Like, there's no way that this guy knows what I'd just been through. So then he says, now... I want to tell you, when I saw you tonight, I saw you, and instantly I saw what was, looked like a school, but it wasn't a school. It was a place that was filled with teenagers, and you were teaching them the things of God. And God wants you to know that that is, in fact, the vision he has for your life. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what I had seen when I was praying for my purpose. Right? And so as I went to just obey God, we ended up taking a youth pastor's position because God had said in, in, in his heart, a man plans his way, but God determines his steps. And we took a job, youth pastoring kids in Scottsdale. And not what I wanted to do, but I took it. And we were there for nine years. And when it came time to leave, uh, we put in our resignation. We've been there nine years as the youth pastor. So just imagine nine years. We put in our resignation. And it's time for us to go. And we're going through the, this process. And we give them the entire summer. So we say we'll leave at the end of summer. We'll finish off. Nine years, and I was distraught. I was, this is the hardest decision of our life. God's calling us to start the refuge, and here we're leaving what we've been doing for nine years. And so I called a very good friend of mine, and I, and I asked for some wisdom. 
and prayer. And he said, listen, I can only tell you this. God has got us in a season in where he wants us to do something in advance and he'll confirm it after we move. So I, so I put in my resignation. We went to camp, okay? A guest speaker, I go to the airport to pick up the guest speaker. And when I go to pick up the guest speaker, we get in the car, we go to camp. That night he preaches. At the end of that night, he comes out of chapel. It's a phenomenal night. And he says, listen, I, I need to repent. And I said, okay, what's, what, what? What just happened? And he said, man, when I saw you at the airport tonight, God gave me a vision. And I said, what? And he said, because I don't know you and you're the director, I thought, I can't do that. That's like showing off. He said, but can I tell you that vision now? And I said, sure, Matt, go ahead. And he said, listen, when I came out of the airport tonight, I saw you and God showed me a school, but it wasn't a traditional school. And it was filled with kids and you were teaching them the things of God. And God wants you to know that is still the calling on your life. Right? Word for word. And I almost collapsed. Now, I'm sharing this with you tonight because in 2016, we came to this conference for missions. We came here. And they were like, hey, come here. You, you're going to amalgamate. You're going to come here and, and look, what, you're going to join this church. But listen, if you're going to join this church, you're no longer going to be in charge. Now, understand, I have this history of God saying, this is what you're called to do. You're going to hand that over. All right? And I came here and I was like, no, in fact, Pastor Jack said, just come anyways. It's a free trip to Australia. And I was like, there is no way I'm giving up what I do. Right? But a free trip to Australia. And that's not even true. Actually, I said no. And I went home and I said, nope, I'm not going to do it. And God said to me, you, don't, you won't even hear me out. That's what he said to me. And I said, okay, well, we'll go. And so we came here and we're at this conference and we're learning. In fact, I'm pretty sure the first year we came here, Gabby, you read the final number that night. Right? Isn't that the year? Didn't Gabby Matthews read the final number? I'm pretty sure, right? Which I thought was awesome for her to be up here leading worship. But... So we're sitting here, you guys, and um, my, I'm just being blown away by this church and by the missions message. I'm, I'm here just like uh, floored. I've been doing this for 25 years. And I don't even think I know what the Great Commission is. This church is, is putting the global vision for God so loved the world, not for God so loved Phoenix, not for God so loved your neighbor, God loved your church, God, no, for God so loved the world, and the world is not hearing the gospel. And half, half of the world's population, three billion people have yet to hear the name of Jesus. Three billion people, and yet Jesus died for each and every one of them, just like he died. And my life was, I, I was weeping, right? I'm weeping, I'm still, I don't know what we're supposed to do. I don't know what we're supposed to do. And I'm standing over here, and I hear God say to me, because I'm thinking, I am not handing over the refuge. God, you called me. I have this prophecy. You called me, and you are asking me, I, I don't know what to do. And God said to me, the kingdom of God is bigger than the refuge. And I went, what? And he said, the kingdom. You said, seek first the kingdom of God. What is your philosophy? The kingdom of God is bigger than the refuge. If you will put the kingdom of God before the refuge, I will take care of the refuge. And tonight, I want to say, when you let God be God, he does things that only God can do. That, and we can live our lives in theory, or we can live our lives in practice as believers. But when you let God be God, he does things that only God can do. It's why Martin Luther said, Everything that I've given to God, I still have. And everything that I've held on to, I have lost. 
Everything I've given to God, I still have, but everything I've held on to, I've lost. And when we went home, I said, okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to amalgamate. And instantaneously, we merged these two congregations. Half of my church left. They, the ones that were with me, mind you, they'd been with, a lot of them had been with us for a long time. A lot of them, we had ministered to their kids, watched them grow up, sent some of them off to war, right? And they were just like, no, we don't like this. And, and, and they left. And Scotty's congregation, some of them said, we, there's a skate park in our church. We don't like this. <laughs> and they left. And, uh, and I went, what the heck? <laughs> And so, and I, I want to quickly tell you the, like the praise report, but I, I, I wanted to establish something, what God does when we let him be God. So, so we all of a sudden went from this church. When we merged churches as a ministry, we had never not paid a bill. But I will tell you that for the seven years, when we started as we had no, Reagan and I literally went out and we found a warehouse and we started the refuge without any support. We just walked. We had m- some money from our farewell service and we bought a sound system and we found a building and God miraculously established it to where the owner of the building was willing to rent it to us for just taxes. I mean, the whole thing is just mind blowing. And then after a while, he said, you know what? Why don't you buy the building? And I said, with what money? And he said, I'll loan it to you. I said, you'll loan us money, no credit check. You're just going to loan us a million and a half dollars to buy the building that you already own. Yes. Okay, so we bought the building and we began to do the refuge. And we went back and we had never not paid a bill, but at the end of every single month, you guys, we were out of money. Every month, our board, we would get together. It got to a point where some of our board members said, I can only handle this so much, I'll come to every other meeting. Because I'm looking at the sheets and it goes red at the end of every month. Yes, every, so we didn't have trouble. We weren't not paying our bills when we merged, but we were out of money every time, right? And all of a sudden we merge, and now what was gonna be the big congregation was a small congregation. And I went, oh, my gosh. And we did, the, we did missions conference. And our first one was, I think, merged. It was like $35,000 for missions. Now, just so you understand, our congregation was giving, uh, one of the most generous congregations, small, they're giving, they're paying the bills. And I came back from Australia and said, hey, I want you to give more, but not to us. We're going to give it away to other people. That's awesome. What do you think? <laughs> and, like, and they thought I was nuts. Right? They're like, this is nuts. Oh, and by the way, I'm not going to be the pastor anymore. And so we're going, okay, we're going to do this. And, and we begin to do that. And the second year, I think the missions uh, was like $45,000. Right? But in, in, in the second year, what ended up happening is Scotty came back to Australia. So, and when Scotty came back to Australia, we lost more people. Now I'm going, okay, hold on a second. I signed up for this, God. You told me to be obedient. Now, at, shortly after that occurred... We came back, and COVID hit. COVID hit. So follow me when I tell you this. COVID hit, and we've lost people. COVID comes along. Now we're not gathering. We're, we're having church, but we're not gathering. All Americans, we did kind of have church because we're like, well, you, you say whatever you want. We're going to have church. So, so we were having church, but we weren't like taking offerings. I mean, everybody, you know, half the church is online. And, and we're doing these things, and all of a sudden, it's the next 2021, I think our mission's ended up being $80,000, right? And this past year, our missions got, so 2020, this past year, 2022, this year it's over 100,000, right? Over $100,000. Now, I say that last year, we had a 15-year-old give $500 a month 
to missions, right? Now, and as, as we're going through this now, here's the part like, that you're going. I've just told you what has occurred in all of this, right? At the end of every month, so here we are, we're giving $100,000 to missions. We are now a ministry that is still ministering to unchurched kids in the skate park, which we were doing it before. But now we're funding the education of children in Mexico. We're almost solely funding the education of 100 children in Nigeria. Right? We fund ministry in Cambodia. This church who said, hey, God, you said the kingdom of God is bigger than the refuge. You said the kingdom of God is bigger than the refuge. Now, at the end of every month, our bank account doesn't go red. At the end of every month, we now have over $100,000 in our bank accounts. At the, now, I say that because you can't and I cannot explain that. You can and I cannot explain it. I can sit there and say, isn't that amazing when you trust God? I can only tell you when you let God be God, he does things that only God can do. And when we came over here, we came over here and Reagan and I, uh, in order to come, we had to get vaccinated. We weren't vaccinated up until that point, but we had said at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, I'm not getting vaccinated unless I can't do what God has called me to do, period. If they tell me I can't go into the hospital, I'm getting vaccinated. Now in our group of crazy Americans, they're like, that's, you know, for a lot of them, that's like, oh, you got vaccinated, <laughs> you know? And like Americans may not do a lot of things well, but you know what we do? Well, rebellion. We're like, you don't, don't tell, you can ask me to do anything. Don't tell me what I have to do, right? That we don't do so well. So they're like, you what? I said, look, I told God at the beginning of this, if we, if ministry, if my calling would be hindered, I, w- I wouldn't do that. I would trust him to protect me. And so we're going to get vaccinated, which didn't even need once we got on the plane. Well, that's a totally separate story. So we, 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 we get vaccinated to come over here. And you guys, I, we get into the plane and we're flying to Hawaii. We put our building up for sale because the, the owner of the building who loaned us the million and a half said, I won't, I'll do it for 10 years. Then you have to pay up. It's like an interest only on a balloon payment. So he's like, this, that, the end of that time is coming up. And he's like, you have to, you have to pay that million and a half. Well, we, he says it's a messy church. You have no idea. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not paying a million dollars for this building anymore. We need to do something. So we put it up for sale. And he, you know, we need a million and a half. And where are we going to go? And the board was like, I said, I said to the board, bro, God put us in this building in a miraculous way. Come on. Like, are we going to doubt God? Are we going to be like the Israelites? I know you got us through the Red Sea, but this? I know you conquered, but this? Like, you know, I said, look, God got us here. He can get us there. So we put it up for sale. We got on the plane, and on the first leg of our flight to Honolulu, we landed. I pulled my phone out, and they said, hey, we just got our first offer uh, for, that, for the building. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. He said, oh, well, I think we can do better. I got in the plane. We flew from Honolulu to Sydney. We landed in Sydney. I turned my phone on. They said, we got a full price offer. They said, what, a full price offer with the lease back? I said, what is it? He said, $4 million. $4 million. So we went from, we went from people going, we're going to start a church. We're going to put a skate park. 
We got a weight room. I mean, it's, it's, it is messy. We got a skate park. We got a weight room. We got an art studio. And we have no adults to supervise the unchurched kids that we bring into the building. And we just let them have at it. And all we tell them is, is you have to come to church. That's it. You can do whatever you want, but come to church. And they get saved. And their families come. And their families get saved. That's what we do. And we started this with nothing. And God said, this is what you're going to do. And then when God said something that was absurd, and I said, man, I don't think so. God said, this is what my word said. Will you trust me? Will you obey? He multiplied it when we were obedient in ways that are hard to comprehend. And what I want to say is, it's in it, when we get to this, right? Because uh, the pandemic has, has exposed so much, yeah. Right? And the Hebrews, this is what the Hebrews believe when it comes to the understanding of knowledge, right? Not what the definition of knowledge is in Webster's. This is what the Hebrews believe, what the definition of knowledge is. The understanding of knowledge is measured by the degree to which it is applied in life. The measure of knowledge is, or the the understanding of knowledge is measured by the degree to which it is applied in life. You know what they're saying is, is that it's not what you know, it's what you do. That's knowledge. When when God says, know me, it's not that I understand. Devils, the the demons in hell know who Jesus is. Say, no, it's measured by the degree to which you apply it in your life. Our faith cannot just be in theory. Is he our provider or not? Is he our healer or not? It's not in theory. We can't sing songs that declare one thing and then live lives that declare another. That is not what God calls us to. And honestly, it is short-sighted. And I think it leads to discouragement because we are deceiving ourselves. That's the worst part about deception is you don't know it. Right? When you think about that for a second, like the worst part about deception is you don't know you're deceived. If you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. Right? That's the worst part about deception. He says, don't deceive yourselves. Right? To be deceived, to think, well, I understand this. No, you may know something, but if it isn't being played out practically in your lives, letting God be God, trusting that He can do what He says He can do, not because we sang it, Or because we even confessed it, but because we live it. Because we trust him, right? Trust and obey, because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's what he's calling us to. And if I could say, I can't speak for Australia, but I know that in America, that is what people are looking for. They're looking for real, authentic faith. They're not looking for people that can spout off all sorts of different ideas and things that they know. They're looking for people that live what they sing, live what they confess, that they're not compromising because it's easy, that they're not just living in theory, these ideas that God is my healer, that God will provide, that God will take care of me, but that people that are, that are, are going, you know what, God, I'm willing to let you be God. And can I say, scary, but it's meant to be. It's meant to be. It's meant, it's meant to be intimidating. It's, it's, it's meant to be. Why? Because it takes faith. And without faith, what? We can't please God. The whole thing works together. 
It's what, he, it's what he calls us to. God can do the miraculous with anyone, anywhere, who's willing to be obedient to God's word. God can do anything with anybody who's willing to be obedient. And, you know, we just had uh, Steve Hunter over a couple of weeks ago. He's like a, my Australian brother. Well, I mean, I'm better looking. But he is taller than me. You know? So, but... He, he said something to the church that I don't know if he even knows how well it described where the American church is. He said, we are stuck in this idea in which we author our lives. And then we come to church and ask God to perfect what we have authored. And we're confused why God won't perfect the things that we have authored. We have chosen our spouses and we have chosen our careers and we have chosen. And then we come to church and we go, okay, now perfect what I've authored. But, he, but the word says he is the author and perfecter, right? And, and God calls us to this place in which he goes, listen, I have everything you need. I, I have everything you need. I am everything you're searching for. There's no lack in me. Right? In Colossians, my life is hidden where? In Christ. My life isn't hidden in the things that Christ can do. My life is hidden in Christ. And when we learn to live like that, God begins to do things that glorify him and not man. I can't explain how we got from paying our bills every month to where now we have this surplus and we're giving 100,000 and we, we, we got this bus that we're converting into portable showers so that we can take it out into the to the city to minister to the homeless so that they can get clean. And we got this bus and we're so excited. They're like, that's gonna cost you a lot of money. We're like, where are we gonna get that money? I said, well, we'll take some of it from missions, home missions, which we're really excited about. And then ASU called and they said, we have a grant. We wanna give it to you for $10,000. And like, what? ASU called. Like, people are just looking, you know? And you can't architect that. You, you can't make that happen. Only God can do the things that God can do. The real, real trick for us is letting him. It's letting him. And, and, and the only way I know how to do that is to know him. To get close and be like, God, I'm comfortable because I know you. I trust you. I'm with you. There's a nearness that allows me to know that you aren't going to allow harm to befall me. You aren't going to call me to make me a, to make a fool of myself. That the plans that you have for me are plans for a hope and a future. Even if I don't understand how we get from where we are right now in this moment to hope. How, do we, how are you getting me to hope? How are you getting me to a future? Because right now I'm surrounded. The enemy is closing in and I'm losing hope. And he calls us to do something and, and we're terrified to do it. And the truth is, is that is it. Yeah. To recklessly obey, to go, God, can I let you be God? Would you close your eyes just for a moment? I, I, I cannot overstate how big of a nobody that I am. And then I, I baffled, even at the idea, landing and realizing that we are selling our building for $4 million. I'm like, God, who are you to trust me? 
I'm like, what are you, nuts? I can't overstate it. Because the truth is, God has these ideas and these plans and these purposes for us that are there to confound the wise. They're there to cause the world to to be put in awe, to be silenced by the glory and the majesty of God. And it's our calling, it's our purpose, it's our lot in life to learn to trust him. To learn to trust him. Because this is the truth. We're not even here. We aren't even here without a couple, Scott and Sam, trusting their pastor, going all the way across the world. We're not even here. What they did, they obeyed. And the outcome is, is, is almost impossible to calculate at this point. And it only grows from here. Because say, God intends that for each and every one of us. Not a single person is exempt from that kind of life with God. The kind of life that lets him be God. Father, I pray that only your spirit can do this work in us. It's you that moves us and calls us and draws us. It's your spirit that speaks. It's it's you, God, that says, he who has an ear, let him hear. God, you grant us these ears to hear what it is that you are speaking to us. Teach us, God, to trust you. Teach us, God, to see not the outcome, to not wait, to not demand to know how or what or when, but to simply know that it's you that is speaking. And God, instill in us a faith that is wild and reckless and willing to let you be God in our lives. The world around us and the world at large will never be the same as you begin to use us to do things that in our own strength, in our own might, we cannot do. You will be glorified, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.